0: I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Hey, everybody. I'm pleased to be able to share my second guest episode with you. For this one, I was blessed to have my good friend and highly skilled IT leader, James Jones, on the podcast. James and I have worked together for over a decade across many companies. He's one of the most versatile and inspiring people I have ever met in my life, and it's an honor to call him my friend. James is talented in many different roles. I first met him years ago when he was a scrum lead, but he's also been a technical project manager or TPM, an analyst, and an engineering manager as well. We'll talk about his credentials, experience, and what got him into tech in the first place in this episode. At one point in his life, James also experienced a car wreck, which led to him becoming an amputee. As a result of that accident, James went on to develop a nonprofit called the QOL Group. We'll talk in depth about him, his nonprofit, and I know you'll be as inspired and impressed with James' spirit as I am. So, with that, I won't delay any further. Here's our talk. All right, James, it is wonderful to see you today. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. So, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself before we start talking about some of the, uh, the topics for today.
1: Yeah, um, I am uh, James Jones. Thank you for having me, Grant, on uh, the podcast today, getting uh, into IT with Grant. So excited. Been listening to it. Um, excited to be now part of one of the cast that actually said they've been a part of your, uh, your, your network. So uh, I've been in IT for uh, about 20 years. Uh, various capacities, worked in various industries, um, part of the disabled community as well, um, and just trying to make a difference as a human. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Excellent. Well, there are so many different aspects of your life that we can talk about. Um, I think, so you and I go way back, about 10 years, right? We first met Southwest Airlines. And uh, then we moved on to USAA and then to Salesforce. So our lives have collided multiple times professionally. And uh, I would like to say we've got a, a wonderful relationship and friendship that's kind of blossomed in, in a lot of shared experiences throughout the year. So knowing that about Southwest Airlines, when we first met there, uh, how did you get into technology in the
1: first place? Uh, kind of a detour story, right? <clears throat> I was, uh, went to school. Um, In the beginning, going for pre-med, biology. And I think, Nan, you share the story. Um, Got into school, pre-med, decided, uh, I really don't want to do a lot of the labs. I need to work. I need to make money. So I kind of ended up getting out of that, went into a JUCO, um, went to uh, start working at a company, an energy company, a big energy company. As a customer service rep, started um, really rising through the ranks. Got up real quick. Um, just technology was just something that drew me towards it, and was working on special teams with a lot of uh, professional people who had many years of experience and college as well. One of the mentors, Miss Abby, who I shout out to Miss Abby. Um, working on special teams with them to build a CRM for one of the energy uh, companies during during deregulation in two thousand and one. She came up to me one day she said um <clears throat> what are you going to school for i said it's uh basically biology she said you mainly want to change your major and do uh mis or cis at the time oh, wow and i was like what you? She, she said just go go to your counselor check it out uh and so i did and the rest is history i had graduated under uh undergrad with uh mis degree management information systems and from then on uh tech has been a part of my my life uh ever since
0: yeah. Awesome. So that's great that she directed you in that way. What was it about MIS that really piqued your interest?
1: It was just at that time, uh, how the way information was flowing. I mean, we've always had these conversations, me and my friend. Um, I have a friend now who's in tech along with me. He's been there since a little bit before I have. I mean, uh, even in high school, we took a couple of tech courses. Um, <clears throat> but just the way that the, the world was changing. Um, during that time frame, and I'm don't, not dating myself back, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but going through the different changes of technology and seeing how it was becoming more uh, prevalent than, than ever and being able to use the systems that, that we were building, and it just captivated me to see how uh, what we were creating made a big difference to people who were actually using it, and that kind of drew me closer to it and fascinated me, and I've been on that track ever since. And now it's more than just the applications, now it's more of the people sense to me about how I'm interacting with people in IT to still have that human connection. So that's where we are with that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I've said it before, I agree with you totally on that point. Um, I think if you know a little bit about tech, you have a, a secret superpower that you can pull out and accelerate you regardless of if you're specifically in tech or, or another career path, just knowing about tech will help make you so much more effective at doing your job uh, regardless of industry. So that's awesome. Uh, and so after then, so you got into MIS, you got your degree,
1: and then what did you go
0: on to do immediately after that?
1: So immediately after that, I stuck with the company I was with. Um, was there, changed over to another energy industry um, <clears throat> where I was uh, a BA manager, uh, worked with business, business analysts to conduct requirements. Uh, I was vendor, pro, uh, uh, vendor project um, manager, where I also dealt with uh, the vendors and all that for the startup that I had moved to for the energy sector. And then from there, kind of moved on to uh, a marketing firm where I was a technical project manager uh for them for a while and then um went to the collegiate world for Texas Wesleyan University where I actually got my degree from um and then just got a Master's in management while I was there as the Advancement Services manager trying to find uh an Advancement Services um a CRM an application to where we can actually start housing more information uh more up to date uh going after bigger donors all of that so Kind of did the RFP for that. Did the searches for the other companies. Had them come in, do presentations, all of that. Uh, and so uh, me and a group of other people, not just by myself. And then from there, uh, after I got the masters, and when I did, then I moved over to where we had met, which is Foa, and um, worked on .dot com uh, when I first got there. Uh, for a while. We worked on .com. We did the uh, integration with Airtran into uh, Southwest. So that was fun. Uh, And then stayed there for a little while. And then I pulled over to maintenance. And then in maintenance, uh, worked as a scrum master, uh, doing applications for inventory, all of the great stuff that uh, the mechanics need, all of that great uh, things that they do for the planes to ensure that we are having the planes to be uh, maintained and maintenance in a certain amount of time and making sure that all these things are accounted for and not lost. So I guess I did so well to where I was voluntold to go over to Aircraft Ops. And then that's when I met my buddy, Greg. Never forget, I had uh, walked over into, if anybody don't, if anyone on here don't remember the old offices and how it was, Maintenance was back in the hangar uh, and and the corporate office were aircraft ops. And so I got a chance to walk across the campus and I'm like, okay, who I'm supposed to meet with? Uh, tech lead over there is Grant Dryden. Go ahead and talk to Grant. Okay, so I'm walking over blindly as I can, just as excited. And uh, I meet you and I see you in your cubicle. This is when they have the cubicles that were- Oh uh, yeah, I miss was- those. <laughs> where you had great isolation and no one could, yeah.
0: I know I could get work done there.
1: You have a square about this big where you can come in and out of, yeah. Yep. So <laughs> head around to see if anybody's in there, and there's Grant. And I introduce myself, and then Grant's like, "Hey, I'm Grant." And then immediately, my in my mind, oh, this this guy is so cool. We're, we're friends now. We're friends now. <laughs> and so uh, started talking to you, and then just met the team and then I, did, I then i had a chance to um kind of meet all of the team members and we started working on performance weight and balance with when you all had been working on for some time now um and i was voluntold to go over there and uh to help to um get it off the ground and just to deploy and so went over and uh did some of the agile stuff a lot of the things that we were doing in dot com had not been fully utilized at Southwest at, the t- at that time um, amongst other departments. And so um, I had the chance to go over and just you know spread my wings. Uh, had a BA to come over with me, um, started doing stand-ups, started doing project planning, project uh, diagrams, flows, started having our leads be in some of the vendor meetings where we're talking about all this great stuff about what we're trying to do and get off the ground. I uh, started uh, updating the multiple managers that uh, at the time I was reporting to because this was multiple team effort. Uh, so performance is one, then weight and balance is another team. Yeah, those were big okay. efforts. Oh, you, you t- and had a chance to facilitate or, or at least help facilitate part of the PWB um, inception and kind of get all of that information laid out and find out exactly what we can do, how to cut it up in pieces, and where do we begin and do it all of that? So that's where it really progressed and took off as far as our friendship. And because that was, those were some days where it took a lot of energy, a lot of self motivating and cross motivating for us. And with your attitude uh, and being helped technically, that was kind of where we just jailed because we needed to push this army of humans who had the right information um just had to redirect the focus and uh and so that's where it was from there and then as you said <clears throat> we worked together from there usaa uh went over there with you at usaa um and was doing the scrum master work over there for devops then Salesforce, uh, as a senior software engineering manager over there for Dev, uh, for DevSecOps. So, uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't realize,
0: I didn't realize you had a CRM background like way early in your career. That's yeah. funny. That, uh, yeah. probably came in handy at Salesforce as well. So on the performance weight and balance stuff, um, those were humongous efforts. And I guess I probably didn't have perspective to appreciate just what you went from maintenance into, uh, we called it SWIFT, Southwest Integrated right. Flight Tracking. It was the, the flight dispatch system of Southwest Airlines. It was really the heart of all operations.
1: I say, make it plain. let them know that without that SWIFT, there would be no flying of the plane. You would not be able to understand and know exactly where you're going, your drifts, the mountains, all of that. All of that was included within that SWIFT engine. And so having to get that at precisely accurate was the main focus
0: it received data from passengers from crew schedules from maintenance uh performance characteristics weight and balance of the aircraft to make sure that it would be able to take off and land (laughs) Yeah. yeah all of those fed into swift and it was the the orchestration tool even to like swap aircraft between lines to keep operations moving
1: Correct. We worked a lot with uh, network operations and uh, scheduling with crew and just to make sure that um, things that we were doing were not necessarily disrupting what they were going to be releasing and that we were all on the same page. Um, <clears throat> then became with uh, product release manager uh, and started working on things like ETOPS, uh, which people will know, normally know it now as uh, Hawaii when uh southwest went to hawaii so i got a chance to do the inception If people don't know what inception means uh it's sort of a um uh, a, a different span on a pi planning uh put it that way so a a lot being... how do we do it now within the agile world uh in increments uh we're planning in increments we do it quarterly some do uh i think for us we really didn't have a cadence back then. Um, and so when we received projects that were just given to us, we decided to couple of exceptions because it wasn't a quarterly thing that we were doing. Um, and we just decided that this is something that would be easier for us that was handed to us from um, an outsource company that we were using at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And so we would get like network um, teams, security team, anyone who was touching or had tentacles to the project, I would get them in the in the room and we would spend a few days or a week or two uh, and dissect the whole project from beginning to end to have a credible plan. Um, and that credible plan uh, had to at least be credible enough for the executives and the directors to sign off on. If not, then that means I had to go back in and have another meeting and find out where, what are the trade-offs? Because that would be my question to them, right? Is is it quality, is it, you know? Uh, and so <clears throat> taking that approach I always went in with what is the most valuable thing that we need? You know, what is the MVP? What are we actually trying to do? What can we incrementally build at this point right now that would give us some leeway um, and that we can dynamically build on uh, and that we can release out um, in, in those increments. And it turned out to be a, a great deal it it was uh, a great effort. We learned a lot. We learned a lot from each other. Uh, And having to, I would say, to be in that bunker uh, for those many days all together um, and trying to have that great attitude, uh, it it sets you up for situational awareness, emotional intelligence, and all those other things to be aware of, right? Not everybody's going to come in with a same attitudes they did yesterday. There's external factors that happen, so it was a uh, very on-the-job training more than what school could do for you. So
0: that's something I'm noticing about your story as you talk. You started out as an analyst with a degree in MIS, and you rapidly found yourself into like management and then project management, TPM, technical project management roles. You go to Southwest, you find yourself as a scrum lead or scrum master or agile coach. A lot of those terms can be used interchangeably, although uh, I know the diehard QA, fans. I
1: was a QA manager yeah. in .com for a uh-huh. little while. I mean, it was it, the ground floor in .com. I mean, we had more than 50 people in .com at that time. And we're talking about where were the desks were these long brown tables and no one had an assigned seat. And there were at least about, Maybe five big uh, contracting firms um, all at once, being in that one room. Can you imagine the egos? Oh, Uh, yeah. and, and And the firm I was with at that time before I really got hired on was like the small firm nobody heard of. And so you had to prove your voice to be heard, which I learned, which was very counterintuitive. With a lot of mm-hmm. things, because if we heard people's voices when they were speaking, we could have overcome a lot of obstacles that it cost us in the long run. But you know, I love it. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah, that we- it, it, yeah, mis, and I think part of the biology um, of learning some of the things, uh, taking psychology course and all that for the pre med before I changed over, kind of helped a little bit too. Not, not saying that that was counted out or discounted. Uh, which one I'll come back to because it helps out in the later uh, portion of me going back to school, uh, the Texas A&M University School of Law, to get a Master of Jurisprudence in Health Law Policy and Management. But uh, yeah, it, was, uh, it taught me a lot about managing not only the project, managing the expectations, um, and basically how to uh, collaborate with other humans in a professional, technical way.
0: It's funny because I think that's an underrated aspect of the job. When you're young, going through college and thinking it's all about your skills that you bring to the table, and then you get hired, and for me at least, I did actually focus on my skills pretty hard. But when you get thrown into a room like you did there or like I did, um, the egos in the Navy were also outstanding. When I worked on some of my first programs, just I would be a fly on the wall. I'm some low-level engineer who's not really worth engaging with at that point in my career, and I would see the project leads talking with program managers and then Navy personnel, and you have to fight to be respected at first. And then after one or two interactions with people, you'll find we rapidly find our location in that room. It was respect to one another who is worth respecting and who isn't which I actually right. am not a fan of because as a manager and as a leader, my job is to make sure the voices who don't get heard get to talk. You're exactly they have sometimes right. the most yeah. wisdom that we can all benefit from hearing. But because of that social hierarchy that forms, they, those voices get drowned out.
1: I had to learn early on when I, when I were doing those inceptions, and I did many of them for many projects that I had to open up with No matter who's in this room, and that was my boss, their boss, whoever, no one here has a, there is no hierarchy in this room. Everyone here is the same. Everyone here has a voice. And I had to learn to call out to those who I could see facial expressions but would never say anything and just ask them, what do you think about this? And so that way they could have at least the opportunity to talk, even though they may not think that anybody wanted to hear it or they didn't think that they had the opportunity to speak up and be heard. And so I had to go around and find out how to be fair amongst all and how to pull out those who are maybe a little bit more introverted than others and maybe some who did not feel as though they had belonged. And especially our contractors that we had working with us, I think that was felt the most. And I had to really engage with them and pull out their ideas. Um, And some of them were some of the best ones we had. Uh, And so it just showed those who were in the room that everybody here has something to contribute. Um, It doesn't matter if you've been here for 10 years, doesn't matter if you've been here for a month, we've all come from similar backgrounds or uh, similar studies. So um, don't discount your neighbor beside you because you don't know them. This is our chance to get to know and figure out and collaborate and join together to solve this one problem that we have right
0: Mm -hmm. it's one of my it's one of my favorite things to see as someone who has just graduated college joined a team and begins to learn that they know a little bit more than they thought they knew they get comfortable in the role and talking and asking questions yeah exactly their eyes open and, and they kind of see what they have gotten themselves into and then you see them get excited about their job. And it's like, I just absolutely love people when going they through have that a transformation.
1: Buy-in. I don't mean to cut you off, but they have a buy-in mm-hmm. at that point. They're like, I am helping to create something that, could, that is long lasting. Who wants to just be a fly on the wall and have no say in anything, right? When you have that buy-in, that means that you have stake in it. That means that you have some responsibility towards it and its development so you want to do a little bit better that's just human nature to some right if you have that buy-in and you're actually a part of a team then you know that you matter your responsibility of being there and being alert and engaging is what's going to make this happen and so yeah, yeah i like it when my eyes light up as well
0: absolutely and everyone kind of comes with a different baseline skill of emotional intelligence i think uh as you're born and you grow up, you kind of develop that skill. And some people like my daughter, she's six years old. She is, she outclasses me just in how connected she is with her emotions. I had to learn how to empathize a little bit more with people. I'm very much the engineer, just facts, trying to get the work done. And as I've gone through my life and been made to feel small in a room of people.
1: Right. right so when he right looks fruit. at me
0: like I'm inconsequential and then treats my input as inconsequential, makes you feel small. It Having does. been granted those experiences in my life. I've learned how to empathize with with other people, especially newer ones in their career a lot better. So where were you when you started out in your career? Um, Were you always as empathetic and emotionally intelligent as you are today or how did that develop?
1: It developed uh, similar to what you just stated. Um, I was at the deregulation of the energy company, had moved from uh, a customer rep to special teams in those days, special projects. In those days, I mean, that was, sort of like you had gotten a blessing, like, you know, and if you're in a room with people who had already, so let me paint the picture. I'm an employee of the company and I'm coming in to help a contracting company who is helping to build the CRM for what we're needing. And because I have the expertise on the system that we have and I can better allow them to understand where we're trying to go and how and what they're needing, I mean, the people who are actually on the phone or who is working on it, so I'm coming in and I'm coming into an already made atmosphere and they're already having their meetings, they're already doing this. And so I remember this so vividly, the one who was supervising us at the time, we would do our stand-ups and like on a Friday or whatever. And this person would tell me, hey, uh, and James uh, may or may not be with us next week. Uh, this is what, yeah. Wow. Yeah, saying that I may be going back to where I, you know, I came from. Now I, I was never told this. Classic. Uh, I don't know, and the, you know, so this was uh-huh. sort of like a a power move or whatever. I don't know what it was, but I had to sit down with that person uh, after about because I just thought the first time was maybe like a fluke. Okay, maybe she's mm-hmm. getting something that I didn't get. So I would go and ask, and they're like, no, you no. Know. Second time is like, okay, so now I need to go and talk. So I had to sit down with that person and ask them, you know what is the deal that were where you're having to announce this type of information to people or just say these things? And she was just like, well, this is what I just thought that was happening. I said, well, if you don't really know for sure, then let's not say anything. Uh, That doesn't necessarily boost my morale and it doesn't necessarily give vital information that the team actually needs. So let's just leave some of this stuff, you know, out that doesn't make any sense. Um, So I had to, impart and actually speak up uh and then you know show my assertiveness to say hey i'm just not going to allow just anything to happen um i may be the newest one to the team but let's you know let's get this on, on track and so after that uh i became a part of the team uh permanently uh got my wings and all that and uh, you know the person was had a mindset change Um, And then that's when I kind of understood and knew that this isn't really any different than high school or, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call it bullying, but there are certain um, cerebral tactics that people will try to play with you and will try to throw you off your game if you allow them to, to either discourage you from doing what you are there to do for whatever reason. I mean, and in their minds, they may think that it is something that is uh, gentle, uh, non-toxic and thinking that, hey, this is information I think I need to 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 say. Um, but I kind of got that early on. And then from there, I kind of knew that emotional intelligence and situational awareness are two of the most main things that are needed within the technical uh, arena, because a lot of times we were taught that developers just like to have their heads down to their desk, dark room, and just code. And so that automatically seemed as if developers don't have a voice. Now I wasn't a developer. I was an analyst helping out the developers do their thing, but I kind of figured out that that's not necessarily true because we're talking all the time. We're having these conversations with what's going on with this specification, blah, 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 testing these these things. I'm telling them that this, this button here, blah, blah, blah. And so that became, my motivation to kind of take that with me wherever i would would go i need to understand the lay of the land and exactly how to figure out what what we're thinking what motivates us and how do we continue to keep going and not have it toxic if at all how can we start encouraging people and not deflect them from being a part of A circle or a team or whatever you want to call them um and that's kind of how it just took off from my own experiences of being the person that was subjected to um you're not going to be here next week even to the points where i was at twa one of the consultants came to me and said who hired you or are you you won't be here more than a week and that same person i ended up taking over his job and was doing he had to end up training me before he left and, it's, you know, it's just those types of raw material that give you the ammunition you need and the energy you need to keep going because you want to fight the good battle. It, work shouldn't have to mm-hmm. be toxic.
0: Yeah, that's poetic justice for you there. Where the guy who tells you you're going to be gone soon, you take his job from him because <laughs> he's not up to par.
1: Well, and he had to move on to somewhere else different. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. how I would, that's how I would say it. He had He sure. had to move on. Uh, to a different assignment. Um, that's yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, it, you got to be real careful when you talk to people and how you how you talk to people because you never know what is in line or in stake for you. So the bottom line is treat people how you want to be treated. It's that first second grade thing that we were taught, right? It's mm-hmm. do unto it others you haven't do unto you. Treat people how you want to be treated, um, especially in business because you never know what happens, especially if it's not your business, uh, mm-hmm. that you own. Right. Um, yeah. Cause you, you don't know.
0: You would hope everybody would take that treat others as you would want to be treated to heart, but unfortunately they don't.
1: Well, you know, uh, companies are here to make money. We know that mm-hmm. people who work for these companies are wanting to make the most money. We know that. And if there is no in-between for, certain people, then that's all that their eyes are are in their minds are, are focused on is that I have to either step over this person to get there. Mm -hmm. I have to crush this person in order to get that. um, And then it becomes a war amongst each other, which I never got.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, me neither. Um, You know, it's funny because business is not a zero sum game even though a lot of people make it out to be. Social capital is not a zero sum game. We can all benefit from one another and we can all have social capital and there's an infinite amount of it that can be printed. It's like the Federal Reserve, right? Right. And so here I am with my people over profit t-shirt, right? Like I've been made fun of for wearing this. It's like, well, Grant, what what do you mean? Do you not care about the profit? It's like, well, no, this is actually Southwest Airlines and Herb, Herb right. Kelleher's model, right? Love he said, her. if you take care of your employees, then they will take care of your customers and no your company will succeed as a result, right? So there is the value system of people over profit in action. And so as leaders, I think that is the way that we should treat our teams, right? People on our teams, we should care for the people. And I've shared with you before that that's actually why I went into management. It's not that I learned how to be a manager. It's that I saw all the things not to do. And I just don't do those things as a manager. <laughs> so much like you, I see my job is is building that social capital, protecting my team and creating an environment that isn't toxic where people can work.
1: Who wants to come to a job that they hate every day or the people that they work with that they do not like, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't bode well for mental health. doesn't bode well for team morale. It doesn't bode well for getting the best out of people, especially if they were hired to be thinkers and thought workers, it doesn't necessarily gain the company uh, and the team uh, much return on their investment if they're just there just to simply breathe, take in air, and get through the day. Um, And I think that's where a lot of managers and a lot of people who are in positions, places of positions, have to really come to that mindset that we have to have an environment created to where people can be able to begin to explore that emotional intelligence side and understand we are here all together for a common purpose to help whatever situation or problem that we're having and to continuously dynamically scale up that particular thing and to work on other stuff to help collaboration with other people within that company and as a whole, we are pushing that together, right? I think Mm -hmm. that is part of what management is supposed to do as to, and we say, you could coin these phrases, uh, safe environment, Mm -hmm. uh, trust environment, right? And I think those phrases have been used so so much that people have just, it becomes tone deaf. But if the manager or the director or whoever, VP, if they actually believe in those terms, then that would be exactly what you would have. Um, You would be able to have those honest, those crucial conversations when things aren't necessarily going the way they should and you're needing to change course. I think we are tied so much of our ego into what we do that we have that weakness there. That if something that I have said that we needed to do If someone comes up against me in two or three weeks and says we may need to change course if i'm stuck with that meaning that i said it so it must happen then that could be damage beyond control Mm -hmm. um we have to be able to understand that sometimes our ideas are good at that time but there could be a better idea a day or two later that could get us or gain us more than than what we have thought of um Mm -hmm. and allow those things to come through and allow those things to happen uh, we all in each learn from each other uh hopefully every day and every time we meet um mm-hmm. it's that saying of iron sharpens iron um and that's supposed to be uh the residual that we would receive right and so uh you got to get the ego out that's why mm-hmm. you got to lead with vulnerability at, at points and times i mean they've got to see that you're as human as they are or you will only get robots who say yes. And as I stated, sometimes what you state or say doesn't actually is the best logical way of going about it. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I see that emotional intelligence, situational awareness can actually help and benefit quickly for an organization, for a group, for a team, um, and that benefits in the long term.
0: Yeah, well, I love your brand of leadership there. Uh, you had mentioned earlier about uh, a toxic, uh, toxic uh, work environment. And I've noticed for myself, uh, again, being a, a like-minded, strong voice in the room, which I appreciate about you. I, I love that you are assertive enough to control the situation and not get it to escalate you can de-escalate and and defuse a lot of very difficult conversations. And it's obviously partly innate, but also a very learned skill from experience in the field. I found myself having to do the same for for women in the workplace. Uh, There aren't very many of them in tech. uh, And so some of them that I've noticed, because they're underrepresented, have a hard time being assertive or voicing their opinion. Um, And so I wanted to ask you, especially as a, a black man in tech, Your perspective here on how you've been treated may be slightly different than mine as a white guy in tech. Right. Um, Am I a black guy?
1: Am I? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) People (laughs) may may only be listening to this. Hopefully they've caught on to my voice. Sometimes there's a uniqueness in voices that do give a rise to what people's race or nationality is. But yeah, being a black guy in tech has been, um, has been interesting, right? Uh, it, it has gone from what I've just explained to you before to where people are expecting you to be gone. If you, even if you're doing a good job, your presence, uh, and, and I say this phrase now, right? Sometimes, um, and not in trying to be a, any religious factor, not keep, but sometimes your spirit irritates people's demons. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes when your your presence uh, can irritate someone's um, inabilities um, without you even knowing it, you could be saying things that, for the most part, some people and even some of your higher ups may not understand and feel as though you may be coming after them or maybe saying something that, but you have no idea what, what their mindset is. You're only there to do what you are called to do. Um, and so many of those instances have been to where I have sat in meetings, um, with the VP and read out reports and have noticed and have asked my colleagues to notice that every time that it's my turn, that this particular VP, uh, turns around and just looks at this painting, true story. Mm -hmm. And I never could understand, but then I got it. Ah. What I'm saying really doesn't matter, but okay. But there's the rest of the people at the table who do need this information. So I'm going to continue continue to keep going. Um, That's part of the mindset that many people, many minorities, not only just black, but um, Mm -hmm. minorities uh, of color, uh, gender, um, even disability, um, have to actually take into account that if you are here on purpose and if you're serving your purpose, then no matter what anyone else does externally, does not stop you from doing what you know or how or what you, what you know how to do. So um, I've had many of those experiences and they have taught me a, a lot. And that's how I am able to lead with the emotional intelligence and uh, have situational awareness quicker over the 20 years that I have been in this business and always want to look out for those who are voiceless as you stated before um and not necessarily call them out but just ask them questions about well, what do you think about this or how do you feel or you know what are your thoughts on this um and sometimes I'll do that when it's just um a close session between uh me and that person or if I feel that it's a complex issue and we're really needing some more input and I can look and see that their body language is saying something different, that we need that at the moment, I'll gently call them out and ask them whether or not they speak is up to them, but they have the opportunity. Um, And so a lot of us in this arena who are uh, of non-European descent, uh, don't really have that voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thank you, uh, in in turn, for uh, everywhere your stepping stone has been, you have said, James, come over here. I got this for you. You know, it's the allies that we have that continues to keep us in these positions that can help everyone else. So... Appreciate that. Just want to throw that in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you
0: so much. Um, uh, I think my experience is obviously different than yours in tech. And I have grown out of a sense of wanting the voices that don't speak as much to talk because I'm an introvert. You may not know that about me, anybody listening to this, but I was one of the voices that got steamrolled. And at some point in my career, I realized I don't have to take that. And so I learned how to assert myself more and if you see the bookshelf behind me i have just gobs of information back there on how to be assertive how to control people who are narcissists how to take uh, like leadership in a situation and guide teams of people it's one of my skill sets that i've learned over time and have and so crucial social I,
1: conversations cuz you have yeah. social conversations like we we must sit down and talk about this people uh, <laughs> as, as it is we we have to sensibly make sense of what's going on yeah, but yeah Mm -hmm. I've seen you do that, that's great, yes.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, and I think that it's wonderful. This has been the Grant Show up uh, until just recently when I had Dustin on and and now yourself, so I appreciate that there's a diversity of perspective uh, and experiences of people working in tech, and I try, it's hard because it's just been my show to this point. It's my experience that I share on the podcast is my experience, and it's not representative of everybody in tech, And so um, you have opened my eyes as well to experiences that others have had that I would never have the opportunity to experience for better or worse. Right. Right. And so I appreciate hearing your voice on this podcast and you sharing a little bit about your experience in that arena as well.
1: Yeah. And now it's a a different experience now because it comes out to where five years ago, as you know, I was working with you in 2018 when I ended up having a. instantly becoming an amputee after having a car accident. And it took me uh, a few months to to get back together. I mean, I I, I almost uh, died, uh, femoral artery severed, sure. all this great stuff. Uh, I'm a right leg, uh, right leg above the knee amputee. And now we're a prosthetic uh, and sometimes in a wheelchair. And so that took my mind to a whole new level of understanding the accessibility in the disability, the community um, in general, meaning out in the world, and now especially in the workforce itself. Um, and so that has been a bigger part of where my mission uh, is going towards, right? And so it has been uh, an eye opener to see more companies are leaning towards accessibility for workers who are who may be neurodivergent, Who may need uh, things to be scripted in in, in written form as meetings, because they may have ADHD or PTSD and all these things, or um, just ergonomic chairs or uh, accessibility in their home if they're remote or in the workspace. Uh, Especially given uh, COVID, with long haul COVID and all those things that people have presented themselves after of of twenty nineteen. Um, and getting back into the workforce. um, There's a lot of things that are still needed. We still have so far to go, but that's part of my mission now in the workforce. And the reason why I went back to school and just graduated in December of 2022 uh, with a Master's of jurisprudence in Health Law Policy and Management. Um, And the reason why I started the QOL group, Quality of Life, so that way people can have the quality of life they need, even though they may have some circumstances um, that may have curtailed uh, their original mission that they had, just may have to uh, put an addendum to it, or people who were born with disabilities, right? I mean, so, um, and a lot of that goes unspoken in the workplace. Um, You know, you hardly see uh, it's sort of as if there is a uh, and not saying that there is but just in my mind I, when I, when I thought about it it's sort of like a, a, a different lunch room for those who are disabled like they will you don't see them hardly ever in in, in the workplace coming out and I want to change that mindset right it's sort of like there shouldn't be eating at your desk by yourself you you, you know um, you should be able to be uh, amongst your peers um, And have an equal voice amongst everything else that is happening um, and actually uh, advocate for yourself um, because few people will for you. Um, And that's, that's probably uh, um, the most advantageous thing that I'm trying to work on right now. And I
0: love it. Your heart shines through in everything that you do. You are one of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. As you said,
1: I'll pay you this later. This is the James you. I know. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. I'll pay you
0: later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go through a car wreck and become an amputee, and you decide to start a nonprofit to help amputees. Like, right. you are amazing. No. You have an infinite amount of energy and a heart for people. And I love that about you.
1: You know, I, I, I laid there on the gravel waiting for the ambulance to come. And I could see that my right leg was over my shoulder like this. And the only thing I could say, I wasn't in any pain. Only thing I could say was that, okay, now I understand. And that was to uh, a prayer that I had been asking to be answered uh, from God. And so when that happened, that's exactly what the answer was. Okay, so get ready. Um, And it was just, you know, uh, as a servant leader, which if you are in leadership, that should be your main goal and focus. Um, but as a servant leader, uh, I just wanted to be that also to the uh, disabled, uh, differently abled, however you want to name or call yourself, um, and just to help remove their boulders and bring water to them as well, right? Uh, committing to rejuvenating um, and making an impact in a a desirable quality of life for them. Many people don't have the necessary uh, medical equipment, and that's part of what QOL does, is that we actually just give it for free, um, and that's QOLgroup.net. And what we do, we just ask people if they're having these sort of needs, Uh, a rollator, a wheelchair, um, a shower chair, uh, a cane. So many times the insurance companies will, uh, reject those types of requests. And we're talking about these items could be anywhere from $30 to a hundred dollars to $200. Um, and all contributions are welcomed, uh, also at this website. Uh, Good, I was going to yeah. ask, yeah. yeah, please contribute because, uh, Right now, I it's financed solely on me, and I am needing uh, as much help as I can because the community is in much need of it. Uh, we have given away um, at least about 10 rollators uh, within the last uh, couple of months, uh, shower chairs, a lot of things that, that, that we get um, that I'm having to buy. But you can contribute, go to the website. It's there. You get an acknowledgment letter. It's a 501 c three. Uh, Certify, put it as a tax re, uh, tax on your taxes. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's just making sure that the people who are in need get it. So we can counteract going down a difficult cycle of depression, uh, suicide, and all of that, where we can have some kind of quality of life where people can actually be independent of uh, if it's just for 10 to 15 minutes, um, being able to get into the shower by themselves, being in the shower chair, uh, being able to have a rollator to walk around and to sit when they need to, uh, having a wheelchair so they can get around um, by themselves and and actually be able to go outside and and do the things that they need, fresh air. Um, And so that's kind of what the mission um, truly is and and making that impact. Um, And for long-term wanting to make sure that it's not only just uh, the, the communities that we have here, but making it nationally and making it international if we can uh, and helping people ar- around the world. Because as the cdc.gov says right now, I think it's uh, the 2020 census was that one and four US adults uh, live with a disability. Um, and the most common disability type of one in seven is mobility. Um, And we can only expect that to increase. um, And as I'm saying it, you know, I want to know the words out that I'm going to say. But given the fact that we have um, so many toxic spills, so many things that are happening around um, just in the US right now, uh, I could imagine that that number for the next census would be astronomical. I think that. Mm everyone that we know will be touched by some sort of disability, whether you could see it visibly, like you can on me with a prosthetic leg knowing my leg is missing, or you can't where it's something that is mental or long, long related or something that has to do with, uh, internally. Um, and so we're trying to help that good fight and get people to actually have a quality of life. Um, even though that they may not have the life that they once had before, you can still do the things that you would like to do. Um, and we're just trying to help them along that, that, that road and, and that mission. Um, and that's where we are.
0: Awesome. Well, I love that mission. The, uh, you had mentioned that people can donate on your website, qolgroup.net. I wanted to ask, is that the best way that people could support your mission? Or are you also open to materials donation or people sure. who would like to volunteer? or even Um, people who would want to coordinate fundraisers with you?
1: I am open for it all. Um, I have been in search uh, of some partnerships. Um, We are gaining some partnerships throughout. Um, But these partnerships that we're having are people who are absolutely into the same thick of it as we are, right? They're helping people who are in need as well. Um, So we can't necessarily give to each other. We can help each other. But we're helping the same sort of people. I'll give you a shout out to One Safe Place with Michelle Morgan as being EVP, Executive Vice President. We went to um, get our master's together, my first master's at uh, Texas West University. Shout out to Texas West. Um, <laughs> and so she runs, uh, she's over at One Safe Place, uh, Domestic Violence um, Community. And I wanted to talk to her just about when I was getting uh, QOL up. And she was like, oh, we need that over here. It didn't dawn on me that domestic violence. Abusers actually do need. uh, You know, wheelchairs, canes, crutches, Mm -hmm. because they are coming in with broken bones and all of that. Um, And so, you know, helping the same community, uh, trying to get those partnerships. If we can get individual contributors to help, um, that would be awesome. Um, And any way that you want to help, we can't you can. And we have a free flowing form text that when you sign up or do anything, you can be able to put your information in and I'll be able to get in contact with you and figure out how we can work that out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with with us all. Um, I guess networking with other nonprofits is useful um, in expanding your network and knowledge of QOL Group, just like networking with one's career helps broaden your opportunity and ability to do the job, right? So, um, let's see here. I wanted to ask you a question about your car wreck. How did that experience change
1: your job? Uh, um, <clears throat> it changed my job factor because being able to put on the prosthetic, thank God that I had the insurance to get it. Um, thank God that I was working at the time and was able to get the necessities that I needed. Uh, Going through uh, the, disability, the disability challenges that I were not aware of, I uh, had never faced, and was never told that, you know, sometimes uh, your remaining stump, your leg, um, could easily bruise, uh, which is difficult for you to put your leg on, which is difficult for you then to go and uh, be at your job um, every day as if you're needing to come in. Um, Being in a wheelchair, getting your wheelchair in and out of your car um, just to make it to work, those days could be difficult as well. So it was a mental challenge just before you even get to work to understand the difficulties in the process of just getting there. It's more than just rushing out the house, grabbing your car keys, getting to the car and hitting traffic and saying, ah, that's the rough part. It's even before you get out your house.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Luckily, I had a um an empathetic uh, leader who stated you know you don't have to go anywhere or stop this we can get you to work remote from home and we'll give you that and you can do that uh and that changed my life uh dramatically um i was able to then process all of what i needed to uh and was able to be um on meetings and all that every day Um, When needed, you know, did my job as, as a sign. It, 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 in the disability world, um, you're not only dealing with the disability of um, whatever body ailment you're dealing with. It's also a mental game. It's more mental than I would say anything else because you're, you are trying to, get that confidence up within yourself to say that you are more than just your body. You still have a voice. It matters. You are uh, just as equally competent as anyone else, Um, even though people may not see you as that. Um, And you're dealing with other things that people may not necessarily see right so if you're going out to the store or anything you know people tend to look and see you as something very different uh kids want to come by and see your leg but the parents are you know shushing them away and we're like no this could be the future the prosthetic person let this you know kid come over and take a look at the leg and you know mm-hmm. let's normalize this so that way when people are out um we're not being looked at or just got that there's been so many vacations that me and my family have taken after this incident that i could tell you on i can only count one or two people i have seen uh in my position don't know about anything else as far as disability inwardly but that i can see the out outside disability that i have seen on the beach or um you know in 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 and just on vacations um uh, and I'm asking myself, like, where are y'all at? Like, where where are other disabled, <laughs> where, where are the disabled people at? You know, um, but I just come to find out that they are they're going to like where the disabled communities go to. There's, like a platform, and you could vacation and do all that. I'm normal, just like everybody else, I, you know. Yeah. So we just want to normalize that, and and and. But yeah, having having that piece of knowing for your job that you are secured and that you have the things that you are needing in order to be successful instead of for success, then that can alleviate a lot more of those pain points um, that are extra layers on top of the job that you have to do and perform and to getting there and assessed and do all those other things that your mind is needing to do. Um, And so that has changed uh, dramatically. But like I said, having allies and people who understand that Mm -hmm um, you can do it. It's just different circumstances. It can be done.
0: Yeah. So I think one of my favorite memories, is not just, so we've got the, the amputee, the disability side of the house, right. But for leaders who are managing teams with people of all different types of backgrounds, I think one of my favorite experiences as a manager was back when, uh, we would ask the team to say, Hey, what do you want to do for this quarterly outing this team event? Right. I think considering everybody's input is very important for a leader to do, but I have taken a team out to go get manicures and pedicures before because we always did what the guys wanted to do Mm -hmm. as team outings. But we had a girl on the team who had just, I think she jokingly suggested to go get manis and pedis. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. And I think being an advocate for different experiences yeah. and keeping in mind what everybody's interests are or limitations are right. is a key point of being a good leader.
1: Definitely. And it's it's an outing. It's it's not eternity, right? So it's mm-hmm. one one outing that we're having. This one outing doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing manny and petties every time we're going for an outing, right? Mm-hmm. So we can change it up. We can adjust. We can do things. We're flexible. We're agile. Let's try something new. Let's do something that, you know, somebody else who doesn't have a voice gets a chance to actually do as well, right? So you absolutely you absolutely said it right there um, and making sure that everyone is included. Um, and the voices that I'm hearing now about diversity, equity, and inclusion and somehow maybe stripping those words out of so many things, mm-hmm. it's just, um, I'm hoping that the light force is greater than the dark force. And so Mm -hmm. uh, that that will always be. Hopefully it was beginning to be on the forefront. I'm hoping that it will continue to be um, because some of the greatest minds are those um, that doesn't necessarily look or walk as society would say as normal. Um, And there's many people who can prove that um, who have come who are geniuses in their own right. Uh, and was stuck in a wheelchair, Stephen Hawking's. you know, is a, yeah. I mean, you can't just look at a person and, 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 and say what they're worth.
0: Yeah. Who's times, there? I, I think times are changing. I have hope that the, the side of good will win uh, just based on my TikTok feed. I've seen some uh, comedians on there with cerebral palsy who yes. will use their iPhone to help say their comedy routine <laughs> for them. And it's just, they're normal people with that one limitation in their lives. And so I can see what you're saying about people treating one another different just because maybe they look or act a little different than others. And that just being one aspect of them as a human being. So I think this is another proponent why I'm a huge work from home fan. I think that if you can't manage your team when they work from home, you're probably a bad manager.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, we, we're hiring people for their minds, right? I could see if we were doing construction or, but for technology, it's all about what you know, and you know that from wherever position you are within the universe. So wherever you are, as long as you're making the meetings and you're you're coming to where we need you to be, as far as with the technology that we're using since we're already in technology, you can do that from basically anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a strong component of that as well because not everybody can muster up and uh, get up. There are so many things that go along with being disabled. I'm speaking this from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have phantom limb pain, which is one of the worst things that you can imagine for me personally, it's so like I speak mm-hmm. on, um, and it comes out of nowhere and it ends at any given time. It could last yeah. for as long as two yeah. hours or more, or it could be there for five to 10 minutes, but once it hits, it hits. And that takes a lot of, it drains a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, uh, things that happen as a prosthetic user where your leg has to breathe. Your leg is mind you in a plastered cast um every day and depending on how long you wear it um for long periods of time during the day uh, if anybody had any broken bones and had a plaster cast you know once you take that off how your arm looked after a certain time two or three months uh it just you know your your fleshly body wasn't meant to be put into these items Um, but we're having to, because this is all we have as far as technology goes right now. And it doesn't necessarily fare well for, um, for your, your body. And so there's a lot of things that, um, come with those, as far as implications, um, that people are just not going to tell you, uh, because, you know, it's kind of personal and it's, it takes a certain level of vulnerability to tell your boss, Hey, I can't come in because, you know, I've got this humongous whatever you know that's happening with my leg right now and you know i can work from home i can get all that but me coming in putting something on or just driving is not necessarily going to happen at this point and people will push themselves to the limits because they're needing a job a and uh b they don't think that they probably won't have that empathy coming from their doctor I maybe mean, from their uh mm-hmm. from their boss um maybe think that there's just an excuse but you know, that emotional intelligence, situational awareness goes a long way when dealing with um, every and anyone on your team, um, but also counting those special factors for people who are needing uh, probably some gentle care uh, and, and handling in their, in their personal situations. Um, and we always use this, you know, we always say people come to work every day with special circumstances regardless of you have know, four limbs or, or whatever because you don't know what people have gone through the night before if they've gotten news if they had you know uh been up something had happened in their family so everybody comes in in the morning with something and you have to be on the understanding that that is a part of that process for them on that job that never goes away there is no on and off switch to say, hey, okay, yeah, turn man. on your morale factor and let's just get to, you know, <laughs> put all that behind you. You know, they just heard news that their grandmother may have had a heart attack or something of that nature. And, you know, they're, you've got to give them that grace to say, do your best that you can today. I I know you can, you know, you'll, you'll get uh, greater later. I've seen you do good and, and great, so I know what you can do. So if today you just, you know, If you can only give what you have as far as your capacity, we're grateful for that. Um, and know that work will be there, uh, but keep your mind sharp. Make sure that your people have the right space and place to talk to you and, and be able to be vulnerable and understand that you would take that within the best consideration possible and solely talk to them about it. If you need to talk to HR, make sure you know that that is who you talk to and that these are uh, potential liable cases. If you, if you, as a leader, start talking to other leaders about personal information that your uh, employee has given you that they may not want to be shared, um, yeah. but just take those into consideration. And um, the same grace that you would like to be afforded in inopportune times, I would say, make sure you do the same for the people who are looking for you as far as leadership
0: so. Mm-hmm. absolutely so i've kept john here for a little over an hour now but i do have more questions here i, I, am, um, I wanted I'm to you. ask you this okay. may be a good one um for us to to end on here so knowing everything that you know now your journey in tech the life experiences you have had and your, your new mission in life here that you're you're building with QOL Group. So what advice would you give to yourself when you were just starting out in your career or for new people who are trying to get into IT and are listening to this podcast?
1: I would say that I would have looked at, and I, I, I'm talking to those who are coming up now who are probably in business school. Uh, I think you have an array of listeners, probably those who have been in, in business for as long as we have or more. Um, those who are trying to determine if they're wanting to switch from whatever they're doing to whatever, no matter what the field is, I would say that um, my advice would be to really look within to find out exactly what your true intentions are of what you're wanting to do and why. Um, Because every job that you have, is going to involve some level of communication with humans. And I've I, re- I, I listened to your podcast on ChatGPT. I understand that the AI is coming and it's here and da da, da, da. No matter what, uh, as as uh, Dustin has said, the uh, automated intelligence is telling you, you're still going to need to interact with humans. Um, and so I would say you need to figure out what your intention and why you're doing what you're doing. Because that goes a lot further than I'm doing this because this job sector has this much money or you can make this as your career, or you can do that. Uh, because in the blink of an eye, that could be taken away. But your connections, the, the amount of things that you may have done as far as your work and um, figuring out what was that that helped Um, those companies accomplish and what have you helped basically your teammates or your employees accomplish uh, goes a lot further. Um, And if you are authentically you, and if you are thinking about it in a way that leaves your ego out and puts your heart and mind in and wanting to achieve a common goal, that's what I would have really been focusing on. And I probably would have done a double major. The pre med I would have stuck with, and technology. <laughs> given now that I need to build my own prosthetic leg. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. But, um, yes. But yeah. If I can interrupt you there, I wanted to mention that since you brought up ChatGPT, so you and I have have bounced around ideas that we could build or or do for the the um, community with of uh, people who have lost limbs or are disabled in some manner. Um, since a lot of smart people listen to this podcast, is that something that you're open to as well? Collaboration with engineers or people who would like to contribute in that space somehow?
1: Yes, most definitely. I just went out to hangar clinic, shout out to hangar clinic. That's my, my Mm -hmm. uh, last week and they did a, um, a little bit of a study and trying to find out, uh, on me, what my obstacles are They had a, um, a prostitution come from New Zealand. He was making his rounds and they invited me in and I was letting him know what some of the issues were. Um, And sometimes people who do what they do for a long period of time think that they know what they're doing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But as I was telling him and, you know, just being blunt, I was like, I'm looking in this room. None of you have lost a leg. None of you are amputees. So I think I'm the expert in this room. (laughs) Yeah. I can tell you pretty much what I am needing uh, and what all can help to alleviate a lot of the unnecessary things that go on from day to day. Um, And so, yeah, research and development. uh, I am looking to collaborate with anyone who has the skills, the emotional intelligence, situational awareness, and basically, um, the collaboration and the intent to want to help um to further this cause um i am definitely uh thumbs up so yeah and me and you we still have things that we need to do too yeah
0: yeah and we uh we've got a slack channel set up we could invite collaborators yes. to uh if anyone's interested so that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and experience with us today. Um, it was a blast talking with you. Absolutely. No. We'd love to have you on again in the future to talk about, as obviously you've got a vast array of skills, so we could talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, this is the one that we, the topic we decided for today, but thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts with us all.
1: Thank you for having me, Grant.
0: I hope you enjoyed hearing that chat and learned a thing or two from James Wisdom. He really is a special person and the world could use many more people like him in it. If you want to support the QOL group, visit the links in the podcast description or just send me an email at hello at grantdryden.com and I'll get you in touch with James. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our talk and I'll see you again next time.